0: Good morning. Good to see everybody today. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Getting up those stairs, getting a little bit easier each time. Had a good week this week. Finally able to drive after five and a half weeks, which was really liberating, I'm telling you. (laughs) Felt good. But I drove all the way to Houston and back yesterday and Realizing this morning is probably a little soon for me to be doing that, but uh, it was worth it. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, let's look at a text here beginning in uh, verse 18. Let's all stand together as we receive the word of the Lord. Apostle Paul is writing and starting in verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much, Lord, just for the opportunity to be here in this place, gathered in your name as your people, united by your spirit, God. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes in this place to see what you want us to see this morning, to see Jesus for who he is. God, I pray that we will fall more in love with you. Today, than we ever have been. God, I know that you've got a word in store specifically for people here. God, I ask for life change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One time when I was a lot younger, I was uh, deer hunting. And it was one of the first few times I was able to to hunt by myself. And I climbed up into the box stand in the pitch dark and waited for the sun to come up. That moment right there has come to be one of my favorite things about hunting. I mean, I just love sitting there in the wee hours of the morning when everything is still completely dark. And it is just still... And as quiet as it can be, and then being able to witness all of creation waking up to a a new day. I mean, as the the sun begins to to come up and light just slowly begins to, to, to brighten everything around you, you first hear one bird chirping. And then you hear another one over here, and then one lighting up here, and then a squirrel running across the ground, and then you'll hear one barking. And that all seems to increase with the rising of the sun, like all of creation is waking up, and it is a glorious thing to experience. But as the light began to slowly appear on this particular day... The dark landscape began to take form, and at first, I could just make out the tops of some of the tallest trees as they were silhouetted against the the brightening sky and then the the landscape on the ground things began taking form as well. And it was during this transition from dark to light that I looked out and saw something that made my heart start racing and my hands begin to shake because what I saw was less than 100 yards out in front of me was this huge buck just standing there all alone. And I raised my rifle to try to find him in the scope so I could shoot him, but there still wasn't enough light yet, and I couldn't find him in the scope, but when I looked out with my own eyes, I could clearly see the outline of this magnificent buck, and I prayed to God that he would speed up the sunrise, and then I said, if you can't do that, then at least hold this deer there long enough for me to be able to see well enough to shoot it. And so I just waited, sitting there, staring at that buck, standing there like a statue. And the longer I waited, the more I began to shake. And I was afraid that when it came time, I wasn't going to be able to hold my rifle steady. I was shaking so bad with buck fever. But finally, it seemed like there had to be enough light. And the buck was still there. So I raised my scope and looked through, but still couldn't see anything. I looked up again thinking maybe he ran away, but there he was still there. So I looked at my scope again, but all I could see was this bush with these dead antlers sticking out the top of it. I thought, wait a minute. And I looked up again and realized that's what I had been looking at this whole time. When the sun finally broke the horizon and enlightened everything around me I could now clearly see with my own eyes that it was just a bush with a dead limb sticking out the top of it that I had been getting so excited about and I spent the whole rest of the hunt just shocked of how wrong I was at what I was seeing but ever since then I mean you hunters know that I mean in that in that dim light there between the dark and the sunrise, you see things that your eyes play tricks on you about, and you just convinced that what you're seeing is one thing, and then when there's enough light, you see that it's completely something else. Well, that's a good illustration of what Paul is talking about when he says at the beginning of this text, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. If the eyes of our heart aren't enlightened, then we're either going to not see at all, or what we see, we're going to see it very dimly. And in that condition, we are either going to speculate at what we're looking at, or think that what we're seeing is something else than it actually is. Before Adam and Eve fell in sin, the eyes of their heart were as enlightened as they could possibly be, and they were able to see everything The way that the Father saw things. They interpreted and defined everything from God's perspective. They lived in and operated from a constant revelation of truth as they were continually walking in His light. But when they rebelled and believed the lie that their way was better than God's way, that light was immediately cut off. They no longer were able to see things the way that they did before and they traded that revelation for now just speculation. No longer able to see themselves and the world around them from God's perspective. The best that they could do was just speculate as to what they were looking at and right off the bat it caused a destructive self-awareness that they had never had before. You see, when they were living in that revelation of truth, they saw themselves the way that God saw them, as unconditionally loved and cherished and highly valued by the Father. And because they were so aware of who they were in relationship with Him, nothing else mattered. They were God-conscious instead of self-conscious, so free and secure in the Father's love that they could just walk around naked and not think anything of it, and they did. But when the eyes of their heart went dark, they went from God-conscious to self-conscious, and they realized for the first time, they saw that they were naked. And without the ability to process things from God's perspective, they could only speculate as to what this meant and so they assumed it was a bad thing that needed to be covered in shame the whole rest of the old testament is about mankind living in this darkness speculating at best about things like the nature of god and who they were And what it would take to get back into fellowship with him. There were some things that they could see dimly, but not clear enough to be able to see them for what they really were. Just like I could see that bush dimly and speculated that it was a deer. For example, in the Old Testament, they could see that there was a God-chosen group of people. But they speculated that it was all about being of the right bloodline. They could see that there was a promised land. But they could only speculate and assume that it was all about just a geographical location. They could see the law actually chiseled in stone. But they weren't even able to see that from God's perspective. And so they speculated and assumed that they would be able to follow it and be blessed because of that. All these things God showed them but they couldn't see them from his perspective. So they speculated and followed what they thought was right. But what God was pointing them to in all of that was to Jesus. But they couldn't see that in their own dim understanding. Actually, there were a few who could. Scripture tells us that Abraham saw it, Moses saw it, David saw it, because God allowed them to see it. And the only reason they were able to see it is because God enlightened the eyes of their heart. Jesus came to restore what sin took from us in the garden, including the ability to see clearly once again. During his ministry on earth, Jesus began to explain how things looked from God's perspective. And it was quite a bit different than the way that people had been seeing things for themselves. In his famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, he did a lot of this. He started off by defining what it meant to be blessed. Up until then, everybody just assumed that those who were blessed were those who could follow the law of the best and observe the right rituals and those who knew the most scripture. It was those spiritual people who were the ones that were blessed. But Jesus turned that around and said, no, those who are blessed, it's, it's the poor in spirit. It's those who mourn. It's the gentle. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness. Those are the ones who are blessed. He was telling them what blessed actually looked like from God's perspective. And then he went on in explaining some of the scriptures. And several times he would start off by saying, you've heard it was said, but I say In other words, he was saying, here's how you've seen it, but here's what it actually is. You think you've been looking at a deer, but I'm telling you, it's a bush. Although the news that they heard was a whole lot better than the news that I got that day. Now to some, hearing these things things was so refreshing. And it caused something to awaken in them that that made them want to hear more, but to others... It enraged them and made them actually hate Jesus. And then when he began telling them what the law and the temple and the ritual and the ceremonies were all about, that really hacked them off to the point where they began accusing him of blasphemy and conspired to kill him. And even though he was shining a light on what these things really were, the people still weren't able to see them clearly. And so Jesus went to the cross. And then he rose from the dead so that we would have the ability to see these things. First point, if you're following along in your notes there in the bulletin. Through Jesus, we are able to see things the way that God sees them. That's why Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. He is the light that illuminates and enlightens things so that we can see them for what they really are. Everything about ourselves, everything about His nature, situations that we encounter in life, events that are going on in the world and even the Bible itself, the gospel is the lens through which we can now see all of these things the way that God sees them, seeing them from His perspective Now just because you're in Christ does not mean you are always going to see things from God's perspective. It doesn't mean that everything that we look at we are going to see from this constant revelation of truth. And there are really two reasons for that. For one, we have walked in darkness for so long and interpreted things a certain way for so long that it can be hard at times to accept the truth for what it really is. I was so convinced that that bush I was looking at was a big buck that it took me a little while to accept the fact that I was wrong. I mean, it actually hurt my brain and took me a while to process that because it was so real to me. The same thing often happens to us when we suddenly get a revelation of truth that goes completely against what we thought we could had known for so long. Then the other reason we're not always going to see things from God's perspective is because this doesn't just come automatically right now. We have to be intentional about looking at things through the lens of the gospel. Our natural default nature is still going to want to look at things from our own perspective, from our natural eyes, and so we have to be intentional about looking at them the right way. With Adam and Eve, this did come continually. I mean, they didn't even have to think about it. They just naturally walked in this constant revelation of truth. And this is part of that now-but-not-yet aspect of the gospel that I've talked about before. There are some incredible things that we have in Christ right now. But there are some things that we have, but not yet. Right now, we have the ability to see Some things the way that God sees them. When we choose to filter those things through Jesus, there will be a day where we're going to walk in that all the time and, and constantly live in this revelation of truth, seeing things the way that God sees them without even thinking about it, but not yet. That day will come either when we leave this earth or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. In this, t- this text <clears throat> in Ephesians, there are three specific things that Paul prays that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened about. First, he says that you will know the hope of his calling. That simply means to see your salvation from God's perspective. To know why you were saved and the purpose of your salvation. There are many Christians who are still just looking at their salvation through their own eyes and only speculate about what it's, what it's really about and what the purpose of their salvation is. And so they have this very narrow assumption that it's only about skipping hell and getting heaven. And if that's all you see about salvation, then your life is sadly going to be spent Waiting on heaven one day while you're completely missing out on life right now. There are some who will say that the whole purpose of salvation is for us to have a relationship with God. That may be an aspect of salvation, but it's certainly not the whole purpose. There are some who, who view their salvation as... This big event, something that happened way in the past. And all they do is keep looking back and and living in the past. Something that happened way back then and they're completely missing out on what God is doing in and around them right now. From God's perspective, salvation is about so much more than a one-time event, so much more than just going to heaven one day. It's even much more than about just a relationship with God. It's about you being included in and a part of the greatest story that has ever been told and is still going on. It's about Partnering with God in what He is doing in history right now. It's about being His representative and displaying His glory on earth. It's about being chosen and adopted into His family with as much honor and inheritance as a firstborn son. And more than anything else, your salvation, above all else, is about purpose. It's about a purpose purpose. By calling you from the dead and forgiving your sin and bringing you into his love, God has given a greater purpose to your life than you could ever imagine. And I promise you, for most of you, it's greater than the purpose that you think your life is about right now. And so this is what I believe Paul is saying here. He's saying, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened so that you will be Filled with the sense of purpose that God has for you. So under the hope of his calling, you can just fill in filled with a sense of purpose. Because that's what happens when you see your salvation the way that God sees it. Being filled with that sense of purpose will absolutely change your life. The prophet Jeremiah, he knew the hope of his calling. And it filled him with that sense of purpose that he described as a burning fire shut up in my bones and I cannot hold it in. When you get the right perspective about your salvation, it will then change your perspective on other things. Like your job, your family, your role in the church body, everything else. And then the second thing that Paul wants us to see is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now here, he's not talking about the inheritance that we have in Christ that Paul does like to talk about a lot. The definition of the word Paul used for inheritance here is what is given to one as a possession. It says that this possession is in the saints, which is you and me, all who are in Christ. God is glorified by His possession of us. We are His inheritance, is what Paul is saying here. You know what this means? It means that you are so valuable to God. And so what Paul is saying in that, he wants us to see in the notes there is how valuable we are to God. Of course God places a high value on us. You know why? I'll tell you right now, it's not because any of us are so great. It's because the price that he paid to possess us was so great. Next point. Our value is found in the price that God paid for us. I'm telling you right now, that is very good news. You know why? Because that means that your value To God is not based on what you do. Your value to God does not rise and fall on your behavior. Your value is constantly tied to the price that Jesus paid for you. And so your value to God is never going to change. It is never about you, it's always about Him. Most of us tend to look at our value based on what we can only see from our dim perspective. And so we'll assume that our value is based on things like our job. Or how others treat us. What other people say about us. Or that it's based on our family. Or we base our value on our successes and our failures. Some of us will, will base our value to God on what we can do for God. And so a lot of people just assume, wrongly assume, that people like the pastor or those who are in professional ministry are more valuable to God than, quote, regular Christians. But I'm telling you right now, that is not true. That is a lie from the pits of hell. Your value to God is just as equal to and the same as my value to God because our value, both of them, are tied to the price that Jesus paid to possess us. I'm telling you, some of you came in here this morning just so beat up and shamed and feeling you're not even worthy to be in this place. And when you think of how valuable you are to God and you're thinking about down there flat on the floor I'm telling you right now God wants to pick your chin up He wants you to look at Him to look at Jesus and say "I'm saying you're so valuable to me your value is not based on what you've done It's not based on what you do, and it's not based on how you feel right now. I paid a high price for you. That's how valuable you are to me. When you can see your value through the lens of the gospel, it changes everything. And then the third thing that Paul wants us to see is the surpassing greatness of the strength of His power toward us who believe. The Greek word used for surpassing greatness there literally means throwing beyond. Which is saying that we have an abundance, we have an overflow. In the notes, we have more than enough power. Paul prays that we will see that in Christ we have more than enough power. Power. What kind of power is he talking about? Well, he tells us. Next, I mean, picking up where we left off there in the text, in verse 19, he says this. He's talking about that power, and he says, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead and sat him down at the right hand of the Father and gave him all authority over all of creation, that is the power that now dwells in you. Man, do you think that if we really believe that, that our lives would look a little different than they do right now? You better believe it. What you believe shows in how you live. You can't say, I believe one thing and then live a completely opposite way of that. I mean, you just proved, no, you don't actually believe that. Because if you did... It would show in how you live. The reason more Christians aren't walking in that power is because I don't believe that a lot of us, we either don't realize we have that power or we don't really believe it. I mean, yeah, it sounds good in the Scripture, but really being in here, I don't know about that. You know, I would describe the lives of so many Christians like owning a a powerful Lamborghini sports car, but pushing it everywhere we want to go. Instead of accessing that power that we have in Christ, most of us are still living from our own strength and effort. And we're burning out. And if it's true that we actually have that power, well, then that means there's nothing that's impossible. Right? And this goes back to the main point of the message last week. Because Jesus has, you now can. I can what? Anything. Because Jesus has, you now can. Because of what Jesus has done and the power that now dwells in you, you now can have a restored marriage. You now can forgive that person who wronged you so bad And be set free from that bitterness that is poisoning you and tainting everything in your life. You can go through that hardship with a peace that passes all understanding. You can do great things for the kingdom. You can fulfill your purpose in life. You can stand up for what's right and stop following the rest of the crowd. If the power that raised Jesus from the dead and sat him down at the right hand of the Father and gave him all authority now dwells in you, it would be a lot harder to come up with things that you can't do than things that you can. But you know what it also means to have that kind of power at your disposal? It means that there's no longer any excuses. No valid excuses for why you can't forgive that person. Or why you can't do everything you can to save your marriage. Or men, there's no more excuses for not functioning as the spiritual leader of your home that God says you are. To say you can't do any of these things is to absolutely deny the truth of God's word and deny that Jesus' victory was enough. But to access it, you know what you got to do? I'm fixing to give you a whole long list of things that you got to do in order to access that power. I'm just kidding. Because there's not a long list. Religion will tell you that there is. They say you got to do this, this, and jump through this hoop and spin around this many times for God. Until he's so impressed with you that he's going to give you some of that power. No, nope. all you got to do is simply believe. That's it. In John chapter 6, the people there saw Jesus display that power in miraculous ways. And they were all pumped up and excited about it. And they wanted to, to get in on some of that power too. And in verse 28 it says, they came to him and said, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he has sent. That's all he said. You went in on this power? All you got to do is believe. The power that you have for these things, for the things that you are facing right now in your life, it's not almost enough. And then you got to get something else. It's not just enough, it is more than enough. Paul said it is a throwing beyond of power. So much of it that it goes beyond anything that you're ever going to need it for. Oh, that we would see ourselves in Christ the way God sees us. Lord, let the eyes of our heart be enlightened. That would certainly change things. I'm going to actually stop right there today, because next week we're going to continue with this same thought and look at some other things from God's perspective. Some of them are going to be surprising. We always look at things and we'll go, well, this is what it is, and God's going, no, this is what it is for real. We're going to look through the lens of the gospel at things in life that will hopefully make you Never look at them the same again. It is going to be good. But Right now, this morning, God is speaking to some of you specifically about something in this message here today. I always tell you, I don't believe any of you that are in here. Any of us are here by accident or coincidence or because we just willed ourselves to be here. Scripture says that God works all things after the counsel of His will. You're here because God wanted you here this morning. And He wanted you here for a reason. And it wasn't just so you could leave here the same way you were when you came in. It's because He wanted to speak to you, to reveal Himself to you. And if you're one of those ones this morning where you're going, that's me, my goodness. He's hitting me right between the eyes right now. And your heart is even racing right now because you can just feel the Holy Spirit working on you. In a minute, I'm going to pray. And after I do, we're all going to stand and worship the Lord through song again. It's also going to be a ministry time where you can come down and just spend some one-on-one time with God, either right there where you are or down here at these prayer benches or some of our leaders of our church that will be here on these front rows. But I don't want us to leave here unless we get what we know that God has for us. And if some of you aren't seeing any of that right now, then you just spend the time praying. God, open the eyes of my heart. Because I tell you right now, we can't conjure this up on our own. We can't just make ourselves see. It has to be God who enlightens these things for us. So just ask Him to. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us through your word this morning. And Lord, it is my prayer that you would enlighten the eyes of our heart. that We can first and foremost see you for who you really are. We can understand what it is that you have done through us, for us through Jesus. That We would see who we are in you. God, that we would see these things that even Paul was praying that we would see our salvation the way that you see it. God, that we would see the the power that we have in you that we have been given access to. God, that we would see the value that you place on us that value is only found in Jesus Holy Spirit would you draw us to Jesus right now it is only in him that we are changed it's only in him that we are healed it's only in him that shame and condemnation is removed it's only in him that we're able to walk out of here different than we were when we came in so, Jesus, I'm asking you to show yourself strong in the remainder of this time. It's in your mighty and matchless name we pray. Amen.